good to be back with you here again this morning. I've already been blessed in our service, our time together, and it's been a blessing to share here with you as a congregation this week. I've been blessed by the amount of young families here and the children, the children, and I know as parents sometimes we, you know, we can be embarrassed by what children do and we worry about it and uh, and yet I, I can say, and I, I know children will be children, they need guidance, they need training, but uh, I see a well-behaved group of children here. I know parents may not always think that, but, you know, we're, we're in a work together, and it's, it's certainly a blessing. And one of the things as I think of Jesus, I know Jesus had a special love for children. You know, Jesus always had time for children. Matthew 19, verses 13 to 15, it says, Then were brought unto him little children, that he should put their hands on them and pray. And his disciples rebuked them. What a, what a sad picture of the disciples' uh, responses to that. And Jesus said, little uh, Suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for, uh, to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, one of the things I find when I travel to uh, foreign countries in ministry work, especially in, the, in India, there's, there's you know, a lot of families, a lot of value put on family in India. Um, and uh, there's, it's not uncommon when I'm there for various mothers to bring their children and ask me to put hands on and pray their children because of the value that they see in the potential that is there in the life of a child and I feel unworthy of that I'm I'm just a man I'm just a person but yet you know what blesses me is a heart burden for the children and uh, Jesus always had time it seems like he had a very special interest in them there was a burden uh, there for the eternal soul of that child and uh, you know as I look at the 127th Psalm it says there low children are heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his delight as arrows in the hand of a mighty man so are children of the youth your power and your strength as fathers mothers lies in your children you know there's there's a lot of value there um, we go on to the 128th Psalm, it says, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, and walketh in his ways. Thy wife shall be a fruitful vine by the sides of thy house, and thy children as olive plants around thy table. And I don't think it's coincidence here that the scriptures use the image or the picture of a family around a table, and it says there that thy children shall be as olive plants. Olive plants, the olive tree, is a tree it's it's probably one of the most enduring fruit bearing trees in the world there's olive trees that are bearing fruit that are a thousand fifteen hundred years and up to two thousand years old they're bearing fruit and uh, yet an olive plant is a very slow growing tree it needs nurture and care to come into existence and it's usually about 12 years old when the olive tree begins to bring fruit. The blessing of children and family touches my heart today 
And I know you as parents this morning, you're busy with the affairs of life. Those are busy years, but they're great years, they're good years. I remember the time when seven gathered around our table and it was, it was good years. Now Grace and I sit there and you hardly know what to talk about. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's a blessing. And so I just, you know, this morning's message is simply to be an encouragement to parents as you train your children, as you raise your children. Uh, like I said, Jesus has special interest in children. And, you know, we look at the dark days we live. Sometimes we worry. Sometimes we fret. Sometimes as I think of my grandchildren, great-grandchildren, what, what will become of them? But, you know, I, I see that God, God still, there's, there's strength, there's witness, there's power. It's going to affect the society in which we live, in the lives of faithful families. As you see children growing up and responding to the invitation of the gospel, my mind often goes back to Exodus chapter uh, 2, verses 1 and 2. You know, this was a very dark time in the history of Israel. You have, you might say, all the odds against God's people. But in Exodus chapter 2, verse 1, it just simply, 1 and 2 says, it just simply says this, And there was a man of the house of Levi, and he took to wife the daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived and bare a son. You might say, what does that have to do? But it was hope for Israel. It was, it was in that home that God raised up one of the greatest leaders of his people of all times. That was only surpassed by the person of Jesus Christ. You know, there, in the midst of that darkness, there was a faithful home, a home that was built on the principles of the word of God. Fathers, this morning, what is our vision for our homes? Mothers, what is the vision for the child that you hold on your lap? You know, what are you investing in that child's life that's going to carry them to years of accountability, that's going to encourage them to give their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and to walk in his ways? You know, uh, we, we know the times are dark this morning in the world around us. But you know, my mind often goes to people, to men like Noah. You know, there we find that the world was corrupt in every way. There was every evil there. And yet God called Noah to build an ark to the saving of his house. And my question is, in a day of all the darkness that was out there, how was it that Noah was able to take his three sons and his three daughter-in-laws into the ark with him? You know, that is powerful this morning. It tells me that there is hope in a dark world. It's a, it's a world where, um, you know, no matter how great the darkness, you know, we have an influence. Uh, we have an influence on the, on the children that are growing up in our homes, and, and they too will be used of God to carry out his work in this dark generation. Fathers and mothers, I just want to encourage you this morning in the vision for our children. The title of the message this morning is Godly Homes. 
or the idea of the godly home is a home that reproduces the faith. And so we, I want to just read from Ephesians chapter 5. I think I'll begin reading at verse uh, 15 and then read on into uh, chapter 4 of, or verse 4 of chapter 6. It says, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, let the wives be unto their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, and that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. There's a lot in these passages of scripture here. Uh, the first point that I would like to think about is vision. Vision for our homes as fathers, especially the fathers. Uh, what is the vision for our home? Secondly is building on a solid foundation. And then third point I want to consider is the idea of bringing our children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You know, what is our point of vision this morning as fathers? Uh, is it the abundance of bread, the abundance of time, uh, the abundance of being able to do what I want to do? Uh, you know, the Bible tells us that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added onto you. Uh, as we think of our focus, you know, is our focus this morning 
on the eternal city whose builder and maker was God. As we look at the Hebrews chapter 11, we see there that those who were walking by faith, those godly pillars of the past, their vision was not on the things that were simply earthly. And that is not to say that we do not have earthly responsibilities and material choices to make here in life. But you know, I come back to what Jesus said. We seek first the kingdom of God. And when we do that, these other things will fill in in retrospect of time and perspective. Uh, our, our call is to seek first that eternal city. And I will say this morning to fathers, you know, only one of these will have priority. One of them will give time for the other. If our perspective is on earthly and material things, the spiritual things will fill in the time that's left. If our focus is on that which is eternal, our vision is the eternal city, uh, it is, it, you know, then the material things are going to take their place and fill in the time uh, in a proper perspective. Are you with me yet this morning on that? As we think of seeking first the kingdom of God, that needs to be a foremost vision uh, for, I, you know, for myself. One of these will take priority in our life. And it's interesting that you know, if I was to ask adolescent children what that vision is, they might not tell me, but they know. They know what that focus, where our primary vision is. Um, you know, in infancy, you look at child development, uh, children come into our homes as innocent babies, and they begin to develop and they grow. And I would say for the first 10 years, 11 years, you know, what dad does is right. It's, you know, he's going to, he's going to model and pattern himself after mommy and daddy. It doesn't matter if daddy drives a Ford pickup, well, that's the best truck in the world. If he drives a John Deere tractor, that's the best tractor in the world. But when they come to adolescent years, they begin to think and to reason and to make choices for themselves. And they're going to look, one of the things they're gonna look at is, was what daddy and mommy said, were they genuine? Did what they were telling me, are they living, uh, is their life proving the words and the teaching that they gave? That's one of the things that is very important in the lives of children. And our, as fathers and mothers, we need to keep our vision on a, on a vision for our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. I don't know at what point in life it was, but I remember first when I, you know, we got married, we were pretty haphazard in, in our ways of doing things. And, uh, but I remember when we had our firstborn child and I, you know, I, my driving habits probably resembled Jehu's more than anybody else's. But when I loaded that little child into my car, I sat behind the wheel. I was almost fearful to drive because I had something of value 
that was there. And I, you know, I, I remember decisions that come through that, but at one point in life, I came to a point of making choices in regard to life and uh, church life and those kind of things. And one of my focuses was not on simply me making it to the eternal city. You know, I, I had salvation, and yes, I, I wanted to be a part of that eternal city that God is building. But you know, my vision went beyond that. My vision went for my children. And my, you know, as time went on, my, my, my vision went beyond the children to the, to the generations that are going to arise after that. And brothers and sisters, I believe if we're making that long-range perspective of vision, it's going to affect the choices I make today. You know, the things is, you know, a person does not go from faithfulness and walking with the Lord to, to absolute apostasy uh, just overnight. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a set of gradual choices that we make that are going to either incline us to involvement and a love for this world, or they're going to portray a love for Jesus Christ and a living out of the faith that was once delivered to the saints. It's, it's choices, and our choices are going to have serious effects and consequences on the coming generation. Again, I come back to the vision, and as I look in Deuteronomy chapter 5, and six, God has a lot to say about fathers passing on the faith to the coming generations. And I like what he says in chapter 5, verse 29, where the focus, first of all, goes into the hearts of the fathers. It says in verse uh, 29, it says, Oh, that there were a heart in them, that they would fear me and keep all of my commandments always, that it might be well with them and their children forever. Do we catch that this morning? As a vision of fathers, it's imperative that we have a heart to walk in God's ways. Not just to show up at church on Sunday morning and take the social fellowship and kind of appease the conscience of the week, uh, but rather that we are here because we love God's ways. We want God's ways. We desire it. It's imperative if we're going to see God's blessing passed on to the coming generation. Our children will make a judgment as to how much we really love God. You know, is there a vision of godly reverence, a reverence for who God is, a respect for God's ways, a respect for God's people? a respect and a vision of keeping his commandments always, um, that the blessing is going to be upon us and our children forever. You know, our children are not little remote-controlled robots. We, we instruct them, we teach them, we show them. But ultimately, a child will have to come to a place where it will choose for themselves. And I recognize that I, I am not one of them that believes that you know, parents can do it all right and it's, you know, children will automatically follow that. Every, there, there's, there's other influences there. 
But I would like to say this morning, I would like to uh, encourage us that as mothers and fathers, we are the greatest power of influence that our children will ever have. And they're going to allow other outside influences, they're going to evaluate that by the influence that we as parents have been. I just want to encourage you in that. Uh, no, we cannot choose for them, but we are influencing, and influence is a marvelous thing. You know, it's, it's not like, you know, if I sit down with my child and say, now I want to teach you something. Uh, there's instruction, you can kind of embody that teaching. But influence is different. I, I don't sit down and say, now, uh, you know, Brian, I'm going to influence you today. It doesn't work that way. It, it's just, it, it's something that happens. It's, it's the influence that wears from one to another. Uh, you know, we think about influences. I, one evening this week, I'm not sure if it was Brother Mike or, or who it was I was talking about that, you know, we talked about the sons of Jonadab. The sons of Jonadab, Rechab, which was Jonadab's father, uh, God had told them, uh, he told Rechab, that he is, he is not to plant vineyards, he's not to build a house to dwell in, uh, he's not to make wine, he's not to drink wine, uh, he's to keep himself free from that. He was called to be a nomadic type of people that were going to dwell in tents and follow the flocks and the herds. Uh, they were a, a people that were, I believe God called Rechab to be an example of what God wanted his to peep, what he wanted his people to be in the world today. Separated from the world, uh, living with a focus of eternal values rather than getting settled in so much into the earthly things. And we know that Jonah, or Rechab uh, passed that that teaching on to his uh, his children and Jonadab um, you know he passed that on to his sons and uh, they lived in the countryside around about uh, in, in Israel there tending their flocks keeping their sheep until the time that Nebuchadnezzar came up from Babylon to to encamp or to uh, take take Israel captive and at that point the sons of Jonadab went into Jerusalem to take refuge from the armies of Babylon. And uh, God calls Israel to, uh, he calls Jeremiah to uh, uh, give a witness or to give or to use Jonadab and his sons um, as a witness to Israel. He says, now I want you to go into the temple and he said, I want you to call the sons of Jonadab to the temple. And he said, I want you to take bowls of wine, set out the wine glasses, and tell the, Jonah, the sons of Jonadab to drink wine. Um, and so Jeremiah did that. And, of course, the people were watching to see what they would do. You know, finally, here you had a prophet telling them to do what they were taught not to do. And we have the sons of Jonadab say that we will drink no wine. 
You know, they refused to drink wine because of the training and the instruction they had for years. And there's something that's very interesting that, that uh, Jeremiah says, and he, he points out to Israel that they were a people that have apostated away from God, and yet here was a man that had trained his sons and they were obedient in following his paths. And the thing that, that grips my heart on the passage of those scriptures is that he says because uh, Jonadab and Rechab had been faithful in teaching their children, he says, there shall not want a man to stand before the Lord forever of the house of Jonadab. That is powerful. We think the faithfulness of a father, and I believe to this very day there's people that are proclaiming the word of God that are descendants of Jonadab. Fathers, let's take heart in our generation. There's a lot of darkness out there, but the power of influence of a person, a man who's committed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to walk in his ways we have something to pass to a generation that is powerful, that's going to stand as a light and a witness until the Lord returns. I am challenged with that again and again as I look at that. And, and fathers, I know we think the work is heavy, the, the weight is hard at times, and, and we make a lot of mistakes. But, you know, as a father, the blessing of seeing your children walking in the ways of the Lord, there's nothing I would have rather gave my life for. The time of my lifetime for. You know, I look at development, you see children obey simply because you tell them. And then they come to the years of accountability and they begin to obey because they believe it's maybe the right thing to do. There's some wobblings and stumblings and and then you come to see them at a place where they're not doing things because that's what you taught them but they begin to do things because they see the values from the word of God and they begin to live that out and then the beauty is when you see the grandchildren being instructed by your children in the ways of the Lord that you taught them. That is a blessing. And, you know, like I said, there's nothing that I would rather give my life for or invest in, in, in my lifetime than that of, uh, of, of training and teaching. And I, I know that seems never-ending. I just would like to read a few verses here from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. Uh, this is uh, Moses speaking to the fathers there in Israel. He said, These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Again, a heart to love God and to walk in his ways. And then it says that, that, that love for the things of God. In verse 7 it says, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. There is a time where we sit them down and instruct. We, we, we talk to them. We, we instruct. But then he says, um, 
Thou shalt teach them, and it says, And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them on the post of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he swear unto thy fathers Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to give them, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all things which thou fillest not, wells thou diggest, wells that thou diggest dig not, which thou, and, and the vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, then shall and thou hast eaten and be full, then be aware, lest you forget the Lord your God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, and serve him, and shalt dwell, and shalt swear by his name. Ye shall not go after the other gods, the gods of the people, which are round about thee. You know, we, we look there, we get the thought that you know, we can't really fool our children. God's word needs to be, first of all, in our heart. God's, uh, what, what it talks there about when I walk is by the way. You know, as, as, as we walk with our children and circumstances and situations of life come up, you know, are we ready to say, no, this is God's way. This is the way we're going to go. This is what I'm going to do. And, uh, you know, we need to live by God's ways. And there's, you know, our children are going to look at the culture around us and they're going to see them doing things a different way. But, you know, when there's choices to be made, uh, your children observe the choices and there's questions. Are we ready to explain to them the principle of God's word and why we are making the choice we are making, it's not just a selfish choice, it's a choice that is going to bring honor and glory to God. I remember one day, it was when my one daughter worked in the office, and I was on the phone with a rather difficult customer. He didn't want to pay a bill. Uh, he was arguing that he shouldn't have to pay the bill for I don't know what the reasons were. In the business world, you get a lot of interesting calls like that. And so anyway, I finally said, well, I, I sent you a bill uh, in the amount of what I feel was fair, it was right, um, it was, you know, it was, it's, 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 you know, we did what we did, um, it's what we consider to be of right value, but I tell you what, uh, if, if you don't, uh, if you don't think that's the right amount to pay, I tell you what, you pay what you think is right. You just pay what you think is right. And uh, of course I was seething under the collar a little bit, but, and, and after I was done with that call, I walked out of the office and my daughter came following after him. She said, Dad, that's not right. He's trying to take advantage of you and you need to put your foot down. And I stopped and told her that that's not the way of Jesus. And I gave her some examples from generations gone beyond and the blessings that came upon the family for them same kind of choices. You know, are we willing to teach our children as we walk by the way? 
you know, no glory to myself. But, you know, these are, these are ways that we teach and, put, and, and, and our values are passed on to the coming generation. Going back to Ephesians, I need to bring this to a close here this morning. Uh, I'm speaking on a subject that is dear to my heart, and I certainly want to encourage, be an encouragement to young families to take the courage uh, to stand and to be, uh, train their children the ways of the Lord in our generation. Going back to Ephesians 5, it says that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And uh, that walking circumspectly, you know, today we have a lot of glory in change simply for the sake of change. You know, something that's sort of old, old fat, we, we got to get on to bigger and better and newer things. And I'm not saying that that's all wrong. But the Bible, when it says circumspectly here, as we make change, as we walk, as we uh, live out our lives, there's a carefulness of walk that considers the consequences of the decisions that I make today, uh, you know, out in the future of time. See that you walk circumspectly. That has the idea of carefully considering the effects of the decisions I make today. Um, don't just get caught up in the spirit of the age. Um, think through it. Think soberly. Think seriously. Verse 16 says, redeeming the time. That's to buy back the time, to make good use of the time. Uh, and fathers, you know, I have to think of, of uh, you know, making good use of the time you know, there's so many things that call for our time today. Um, a lot of good things. Uh, I'm not even just excusing the bad things, but as we redeem the time, take time for what's most important. And then, you know, the rest, allow the rest to, to fill in. Be not drunk with wine where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Then again in our homes in verse 19, it says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Think about what the Lord has done for us. Give him reverence. Give him thanks. Give him praise. Uh, that should be something that comes somewhat spontaneous out of a heart that loves the Lord. Uh, verse 20 says, giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, thankfulness there has the idea of, of being grateful uh, in all things. You know, we don't, uh, you know, practice to be a home of gratitude. First and foremost to God and his care for us. And then for what others do for each other. Uh, for children, mothers, fathers. Is there a spirit of gratitude toward each other? You know, it's, it's something that is contagious. Gratitude uh, reflects a humble spirit, a spirit that trusts uh, in God and, and others. Uh, ingratitude comes out of the feeling that, you know, I, I didn't get what I deserve. You know, I deserve better than this. But a grateful spirit 
humbly accepts those things that God gives and is grateful. Gratitude is an expression of faith and trust in the sovereignty of the Almighty God. Uh, then it tells us here that we're to submit one to another in the fear of God. You know, that, that heart of, of, of hearing, learning to hear and to respect the values and the opinions of others, even when you may know that uh, you can't condone what is being shared or requested, but the respect to listen and to consider and to respond in a right way is, is, is imperative. We come to the foundation of marriage, or the home, and, and that's built on God's order for biblical marriage. And we go back to the beginning of time. God, in the beginning, create, created man, male and female, created he them. And we have the accounts there in Genesis. And he says, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. And one of the things that is, is just, it's sad, but in our society today, that, that foundation of marriage is being uh, shattered. And, uh, you know, God, God created only two genders, male and female. And I don't know if you follow what's, what's happening in society, and it's, I think it's well to be informed, but uh, I don't think it's well to set our focus on society and, and the evils of society. Uh, yet what's being taught to children today and shown in example is, is a horrible thing. It's, it's a statement of defiance against God. Uh, God-honoring homes begin with the foundation of one man, one woman, in a loyal bond of, of, of marriage uh, for as long as God gives life. Uh, we see this crisis. You know, we look at where we're at today. The crisis did not start today. If we go back a little over 100 years ago, we have the rise of what was called the feminine movement, you know, where women were no longer willing to take their place in the home and in society. And probably a lot of that stems from the fact that men were not giving, or uh, uh, they were not taking their role in society. I believe that much of that evil came because men were no longer being the men that God wanted, wanted them to be. But today, Western society is paying a high price for those choices. And if you're involved in the foster care system or uh, getting close to that, we had children that were involved in foster care and adoption. Uh, the, the lives uh, of the homes that they come out of, it, it's horrific. You know, and that's where Satan wants it because Satan, Satan, if he can have the homes, if he has the heart of the homes, he has the coming generation. In the order of marriage, you know, as we think of our children, uh, what they see, the decisions they make, one of the things that they observe very keenly at an early age is a relationship 
that a husband and wife have, that mommy and daddy have. They know if there's always friction, if there's always striving, if there's always strife, there's going to be, uh, uh, it's going to become very, uh, very discouraging for children. We have here that, you know, we as husbands are to love our wives. That means we give ourselves for them. And uh, that means we, we treat them like we would want to be treated. Love is, we think about them and their well-being in every decision we make. And it says wives, they're to submit unto their own husbands as unto the Lord. Again, it's a foundation. It, it, it brings a tremendous security in the lives of children. Uh, we can look more at that. I need to bring this to a close this morning. But it gives a, uh, as we look at God's order for the home, it gives a powerful witness to the world. Uh, one of the things I have in my office down on the eastern shore, and that is a, a family picture. And people, you know, people will come into my office and they will look at that and, oh, is that, you know, you, you, they, they comment on the family picture. And I, I point out, you know, these are, these are my children, these are my grandchildren. And it's amazing uh, just the picture of peace and joy on their faces. And, and some, some men will look at that and they'll say, wow, you have been blessed. You have been blessed, and you know they long at heart to have that blessing. But because of sin and selfishness, they missed it. Let's not minimize the foundation of the home and what it does in the lives of children. The last point is this morning is that we as fathers are to bring up our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, uh, chapter 6, verse 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Um, that, is a, that is a loaded responsibility. It's a loaded command. It says that we're not to, uh, we're not to uh, how does it say there, not to provoke them, uh, to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You know, it's in the homes that a child uh, receives a basic structure of life. And I think one of the things that goes so far is the consistency in our teaching. You know, a yes is yes, and a no means no. And it's not yes one day and no another. It's, it's that consistent teaching that instills in them instruction of order we teach the basics of life we think about that not provoking them to wrath there's probably little that will discourage a child more than a hypocritical lifestyle the rules for thee but none for me you know that kind of a spirit uh, that brings discouragement and anger in the heart of a child unreasonable expectations don't expect of a of a five-year-old what you should expect of an 11-year-old. You know, as they grow, uh, we expect more of them, but don't expect more than they, they understand. 
another area of not provoking to wrath, and that is fathers never discipline out of anger or embarrassment uh, of your children. Discipline needs to come where there is love, there is a seeking for understanding of the offense. You know, the child clearly understands what was wrong, why it was wrong, and we discipline because I am responsible before a holy God to train you in God's ways. You know, it, it, it goes so far. Discipline uh, is not just something that we do carelessly or out of anger. Um, you know, and, and the fact of teaching them that they too eventually will be responsible and accountable before God. We're to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And I like that word, bring them up, because we cannot bring them up if we are not up. You follow what I'm saying? We are the leaders. We guide. We instruct. We lead them by showing them the way. Uh, we can't, um, you know, if, we don't, if we're not, if we're trying to expect of them uh, a life that we, we are not showing them by life, it's, it's going to bring forth uh, bitterness and anger and discouragement in the lives of children. Fathers, we are called to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Someday, our children will choose for themselves the path we will go. And, uh, and again, I come back that they're not remote controlled robots, but they will choose, they will make choices and decisions in regard to life and eternity. Uh, but we as parents are the greatest power of influence that our children will ever have. This morning, I just want to encourage you as parents to take the time, redeem the time, and consider the values of children that God has placed in our homes. And I sense here that you are doing that, but I just want to encourage you to continue and be faithful. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.